Ah, good morning, April 24th. You know, just the sound of April 24th sounds like spring, April 24th. Now myself, I got up this morning and there was snow <laughs> all over the ground. Oh, where is spring? Anyway, today we're going to carry on with the book of Matthew. We're going to finish it up, actually. Matthew chapters 26, 27, and 28. And then we're going to finish up today's reading with Psalm 68. Welcome to day, 100, day 113 on Bible in a Year with Bill. Let's get right into it. Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus finished saying these things, he told his disciples, You know that Passover comes in two days. That's when the Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over for crucifixion. At that very moment, the party of high priests and religious leaders was meeting in the chambers of the chief priest named Caiaphas, conspiring to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. They agreed that it should not be done during Passover week. We don't want to ride on our hands, they said. When Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him as he was eating dinner and anointed him with a bottle of very expensive perfume. When the disciples saw what was happening, they were furious. That's criminal! This could have been sold for a lot and the money handed out to the poor. When Jesus realized what was going on, he intervened. Why are you give, giving this woman a hard time? She has done something wonderfully significant for me. You will have the poor with you every day for the rest of your lives, but not me. When she poured this perfume on my body, what she really did was anoint me for burial. You can be sure that wherever in the whole world the, the message is preached, what she has just done is going to be remembered and admired. That is when one of the twelve, the one named Judas Iscariot, went to the Kabul of the high priests and said, what will you give me if I hand them over to you? They settled on 30 silver pieces. He began looking for just the right moment to hand him over. On the first days of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare your Passover meal? He said, Enter the city, go up to a certain man and say, The teacher says, My time is near. I and my disciples plan to celebrate the Passover meal at your house. The disciples followed Jesus' instructions to the letter and prepared the Passover meal. After sunset, he and the twelve were sitting around the table. During the meal, he said, I have something hard but important to say to you. One of you is going to hand me over to conspirators. They were stunned and then began to ask one after another, It isn't me, is it, Master? Jesus answered, The one who hands me over is someone I eat with daily. One who passes me food at the table. In one sense, the Son of Man is entering into a way of treachery well marked by the Scriptures. No surprises here. In another sense, that man who turns him in turns traitor to the Son of Man. Better, better never to have been born than do this. Then Judas, already turned traitor, said, It isn't me, Rabbi. Jesus said, Don't play games with me, Judas. During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this is my body. Taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. Drink this, all of you, this is my blood. God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins. I'll not be drinking wine from this cup again until that new day when I'll drink with you in the kingdom of my Father. 
They sang a hymn and went directly to Mount Olives. Then Jesus told them, Before the night's over, you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. There is a scripture that says, I'll strike the shepherd, helter-skelter the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I, your shepherd, will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. Peter broke in. Even if everyone else fails to pieces, or even if everyone else falls to pieces on account of you, I won't. Don't be so sure, Jesus said. This very night before the rooster crows up the dawn, you will deny me three times. Peter protested. Even if I had to die with you, I would never deny you. All the others said the same thing. Then Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane and told his disciples, Stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, This sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell on his face, praying, My father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? When he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. He said to Peter, Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert, be in prayer, so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. There is a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God, but there is another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. He then left them a second time. Again he prayed, My father, if there is no other way than this, drinking this cup to the dregs, I'm ready. Do it your way. When he came back, he again found them sound asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open. This time he let them sleep on and went back a third time to pray, going over the same ground one last time. When he came back the next time, he said, Are you going to sleep on and make a night of it? My time is up. The Son of Man is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's get going. My betrayer is here. The words were barely out of his mouth when Judas, the one from the twelve, showed up and with him a gang from the high priests and religious leaders brandishing swords and clubs. The betrayer had worked out a sign with them. The one I kiss, that's the one. Seize him. He went straight to Jesus, greeted him. How are you, Rabbi? And kissed him. Jesus said, friend, why this charade? Then they came on him, grabbed him, and roughed him up. One of those with Jesus pulled his sword, and taking a swing at the chief's priest's servant, cut off his ear. Jesus said, Put your sword back where it belongs. All who use swords are destroyed by swords. Don't you realize that I am able right now to call to my father, and twelve companies more, if I want them, of fighting angels would be here, battle ready? But if I did that, how would the scriptures come true that say this is the way it has to be? Then Jesus addressed the mob, What is this, coming out after me with swords and clubs as if I were a dangerous criminal? Day after day I have been sitting in the temple teaching, and you never so much as lifted a hand against me. You've done it this way to confirm and fulfill the prophetic writings. Then all the disciples cut and ran. The gang that had seized Jesus led him before Caiaphas, the chief chief priest, where the religion scholars and leaders had assembled. Peter followed at a safe distance until they got to the chief priest's courtyard. Then he slipped in and mingled with the servants, watching to see how things would turn out. The high priests, conspiring with the Jewish council, tried to cook up charges against Jesus in order to sentence him to death. 
But even though many stepped up, making up one false accusation after another, nothing was believable. Finally, two men came forward with this. He said, I can tear down this temple of God and after three days rebuild it. The chief priest stood up and said, What do you have to say to this accusation? Jesus kept silent. Then the chief priest said, I command you by the authority of the living God to say, If you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus was curt. You said it yourself. And that's not all. Soon you'll see it for yourself. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Mighty One, arriving on the clouds of heaven. At that, the chief priest lost his temper, ripping his robes, yelling, He blasphemed! Why do we need witnesses to accuse him? You all heard him blaspheme? Are you going to stand for such blasphemy? They all said, Death! That seals his death sentence. Then they were spitting in his face and banging him around. They jeered as they slapped him. Prophesy, Messiah! Who hit you that time? All this time, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. One servant girl came up to him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean. In front of everybody there, he denied it. You don't know what you're talking about. As he moved over toward the gate, someone else said to the people there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again, he denied it, salting his denial with an oath. I swear I never laid eyes on the man. Shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter. You've got to be one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he got really nervous and swore. I don't know the man. Just then a rooster crowed. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and cried and cried and cried. Matthew chapter 27 in the first light of dawn, all the high priests and religious leaders met and put the finishing touches on their plot to kill Jesus. Then they tied him up and paraded him to Pilate, the governor. Judas, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed. Overcome with remorse, he gave back the thirty silver coins to the high priest, saying, I've sinned, I've betrayed an innocent man. They said, What do we care? That's your problem. Jesus threw the silver coins into the temple and left. Then he went out and hung himself. The high priest picked up the silver pieces, but then didn't know what to do with them. It wouldn't be right to give this a payment for murder as an offering in the temple. They decided to get rid of it by buying the potter's field and use it as a burial place for the homeless. That's how the field got called Murder Meadow, a name that has stuck to this day. Then Jeremiah's words became history. They took the silver pieces, the price of the one pr priced by some sons of Israel, and they purchased the potter's field, and so unwittingly followed the divine instructions to the letter. Jesus was placed before the governor, who questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, If you say so. But when the accusations rained down hot and heavy from the high priests and religious leaders, he said nothing. Pilate asked him, Do you hear that long list of accusations? Aren't you going to say something? Jesus kept silence, not a word from his mouth. The governor was impressed, really impressed. It was an old custom during the feast for the governor to pardon a single prisoner named by the crowd. At the time, they had the infamous Jesus Barabbas in prison. With the crowd before him, Pilate said, Which prisoner do you want me to pardon, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the so-called Christ? He knew it was through sheer spite that they had turned Jesus over to him. 
While court was still in session, Pilate's wife sent him a message. Don't get mixed up in judging this noble man. I've just been through a long and troubled night because of a dream about him. Meanwhile, the high priests and religious leaders had talked the crowd into asking for the pardon of Barabbas and the execution of Jesus. The governor asked, Which of the two do you want me to pardon? They said, Barabbas! Then what do I do with Jesus, the so-called Christ? They all shouted, Nail him to a cross! He objected, But for what crime? But they yelled all the louder, Nail him to a cross! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was imminent, he took a basin of water and washed his hands in full sight of the crowd, saying, I'm washing my hands of responsibility for this man's death. From now on, it's in your hands, your judge and jury. The crowd answered, We'll take the blame, we and our children after us. Then he pardoned Barabbas, but he had Jesus whipped and then handed over for crucifixion. The soldiers assigned to the governor took Jesus into the governor's palace and got the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him and dressed him in a red toga. They plaited a crown from branches of a thorn bush and set it on his head. They put a stick in his right hand for a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mocking reverence. Bravo, king of the Jews, they said. Bravo. Then they spit on him and hit him on the head with the stick. When they had had their fun, they took off the toga and put his own clothes back on him. Then they proceeded out to the crucifixion. Along the way, they came on a man from Cyrene named Simon and made him carry Jesus' cross. Arriving at Golgotha, the place they call Skull Hill, they offered him a mild painkiller, a mixture of wine and myrrh, but when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. After they had finished nailing him to the cross and were waiting for him to die, They whiled away the time by throwing dice for his clothes. Above his head they had posted the criminal charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Along with him they also crucified two criminals, one to his right, the other to his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So show us your stuff. Save yourself if you're really God's son. Come down from that cross. The high priests, along with the religion scholars and leaders, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others, he can't save himself. King of Israel, is he? Then let him get down from that cross. We'll all become believers then. He was so sure of God. Well, let him rescue his son now, if he wants him. He did claim to be God's son, didn't he? Even the two criminals crucified next to him joined in the mockery. From noon to three, the whole earth was dark. Around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some bystanders who heard him said, he's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and got a sponge soaked in sour wine and lifted it on a stick so he could drink. The others joked, don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. But Jesus again, crying loudly, breathed his last. At that moment, the temple curtain was ripped in two, top to bottom. There was an earthquake and rocks were split in pieces. What's more, tombs were opened up and many bodies of believers asleep in their graves were raised. After Jesus' resurrection, they left the tombs, entered the holy city and appeared to many. 
The captain of the guard and those with him, when they saw the earthquake and everything else that was happening, were scared to death. They said, this has to be the Son of God. There were also quite a few women watching from a distance, women who had followed Jesus from Galilee in order to serve him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of, Ze of the Zebedee brothers. Late in the afternoon, a wealthy man from Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, arrived. His name was Joseph. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate granted his request. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linens, put it in his own tomb, a new tomb only recently cut into the rock, and rolled a large stone across the entrance. Then he went off. But Mary Magdalene and the other Mary stayed, sitting in plain view of the tomb. After sundown, the high priests and Pharisees arranged a meeting with Pilate. They said, Sir, we just remembered that the liar announced while he was still alive, After three days I will be raised. We've got to get that tomb sealed until the third day. There's a good chance his disciples will come and steal the corpse and then go around saying he's risen from the dead. Then we'll be worse off than before, the final deceit surpassing the first. Pilate told them, You will have a guard. Go ahead and secure it the best you can. So they went out and secured the tomb, sealing the stone and posting guards. Matthew chapter 28 After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the woman, There is nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here. He was raised, just as he said. Come and look at the place where he was placed. Now get on your way quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That's the message. The women, deep in wonder and full of joy, lost no time in leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples. Then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. They fell to their knees, embraced his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus said, You're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. Go tell my brothers that they are to go to Galilee, and that I'll meet them there. Meanwhile, the guards had scattered, but a few of them went into the city and told the high priests everything that had happened. They called a meeting of the religious leaders and came up with a plan. They took a large sum of money and gave it to the soldiers, bribing them to say, His disciples came in the night and stole the body while we were sleeping. They assured them, If the governor hears about your sleeping on duty, we will make sure you don't get blamed. The soldiers took the bribe and did as they were told. That story, cooked up in the Jewish high council, is still going around. Meanwhile, the eleven disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. 
God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Psalm chapter 68. This is a David psalm. Up with God, down with his enemies. Adversaries run for the hills, gone like a puff of smoke, like a blob of wax in the fire. One look at God and the wicked vanish. When the righteous see God in action, they'll laugh, they'll sing, they'll laugh and sing for joy. Sing hymns to God, all heaven sing out. Clear the way for the coming of cloud rider. Enjoy God, cheer when you see him. Father of orphans, champion of widows, is God in his holy house. God makes homes for the homeless, leads prisoners to freedom, but leaves rebels to rot in hell. God, when you took the lead with your people, when you marched out into the wild, earth shook, sky broke out in a sweat. God was on the march. Even Sinai trembled at the sight of God on the move, at the sight of Israel's God. You pour out rain in buckets, O God. Thorn and cactus become an oasis for your people to camp in and enjoy. You set them up in business. They went from rags to riches. The Lord gave the word. Thousands called out the good news. Kings of the armies are on the run, on the run while housewives, safe and sound, back home, divide up the plunder, the plunder of Canaanite silver and gold. On that day that, on that day that Shaddai scattered the kings, snow fell on Black Mountain. You huge mountains, Bashan mountains, mighty mountains, dragon mountains, all you mountains not chosen, sulk now and feel sorry for yourselves, for this is the mountain God has chosen to live on. He'll rule from this mountain forever. The chariots of God, twice ten thousand and thousands more besides, the Lord in the lead, riding down Sinai, straight to the holy place. You climb to the high place, captives in tow, your arms full of booty from rebels, and now you sit there in state, God, sovereign God. Blessed be the Lord, day after day he carries us along. He's our Savior, our God, oh yes, he's God for us, he's God who saves us. Lord God knows all death's ins and outs. What's more, he made heads roll, split the skulls of the enemy as he marched out of heaven, saying, I tied up the dragon in knots, put a muzzle on the deep blue sea. You can wade through your enemy's blood and your dogs taste of your enemies from your boots. See God on parade to the sanctuary, my God, my king on the march. Singers out front, the band behind, maidens in the middle with castanets, the whole choir blesses God. Like a fountain of praise, Israel blesses God. Look, little Benjamins out front and leading, princes of Judah in their royal robes, princes of Zebulun, princes of Naphtali, parade your power, O God, the power, O God, that made us what we are. Your temple, high God, is Jerusalem. Kings bring gifts to you. Rebuke that old crocodile Egypt with her herd of wild bulls and calves. 
rapacious in her lust for silver, crushing people, spoiling for a fight. Let Egyptian traders bring cloth and cush, come running to God, her hands outstretched. Sing, O kings of the earth, sing praises to the Lord. There he is, sky rider, striding the ancient skies. Listen, he's calling in thunder, rumbling, rolling thunder. Call out bravo to God, the high God of Israel. His splendor and strength rise huge as thunderheads. A terrible beauty, O God, streams from your sanctuary. It's Israel, strong God. He gives power and might to his people. O you, his people, bless God. These last few chapters of the book of Matthew describe Jesus' arrest, beating, death, resurrection, and the commission. I found this great devotional written by Max Lucado. Six hours, one Friday. Let me ask you a question. What do you do with that day in history? What do you do with its claims? If it really happened, if God did commandeer his own crucifixion, if he did turn his back on his own son, if he did storm Satan's gate, then those six hours that Friday were packed with tragic triumph. If that was God on that cross, then the hill called Skull is a granite studded with stakes to which you can anchor. Those six hours were no normal six hours. They were the most critical hours in history. For during those six hours on that Friday, God embedded in the earth three anchor points sturdy enough to withstand any hurricane. Anchor point number one, my life is not futile. This rock secures the hull of your heart. Its sole function is to give you something which you can grip when facing the surging tides of futility and relativism. Someone is in control and I have a purpose. Anchor point number two, my failures are not fatal. It's not that he loves what you did, but he loves who you are. The one who has the right to condemn you has provided the way to acquit you. You make mistakes. God doesn't. And he made you. Anchor point number three. My death is not final. There is one more stone to which you should tie. It blocked the door of a grave. It wasn't big enough, though. He only went in to prove he could come out. And on the way out, he took the stone with him and turned it into an anchor point. Tie it to his rock, and the typhoon of the tomb becomes a spring breeze on Easter Sunday. There they are, three anchor points, the anchor points of the cross. Some people would rather see Jesus dead than controlling their lives. What room in the castle of your life needs to be placed under Christ's control? Your career? Your family? Your church? Don't hesitate a day. Pray now. Give your life fully to Him. Thank you for being here with me again today on Bible in a Year with Bill. I will be here tomorrow, same time, same place. Hope to see you there. Take care now.